Money talks, save your breath, save your peace of mind Deposit plus signs, they not unwind Words to the wise, don't gotta be suits and ties We're living in the time where every move is scrutinized At the elbow, I hit them with the bank shot I just wanna check my bank account and thank God Hey yo, I think we got the same thought We gon' get it all together for the raindrop yeah. Help me help you Sometimes you don't gotta go far to discover the truth Easy to get confused when all the faces are blue Pull up a chair, if it help I tell you what I would do Keep that thought process prudent And yo, staying in the moment while we living for the future Yeah, it's a track meet for a frugal athlete Nothing more, nothing less, I need exactly Welcome to a Frugal Athlete Podcast, where we interview athletes, both current and former, on the prudent financial practices and smart career decisions they are making. In these episodes, we dive into what it means to be a frugal athlete. You might think that frugal just means being cheap, but as you will soon learn, being frugal is more complex than that. I'm your host, Amobi Okugo. In this episode, we got Lyle Adams. Lyle Adams is someone I've gotten to know recently, but um, have really connected on a higher level. Um, he's a former MLS professional soccer player, now tech guru. He's worked for the likes of Living Social, Uber, Baller TV. He's currently enrolled to get his master's in sports management. And this episode, we talk about his journey, some financial lessons he's learned along the way, and how to navigate uh, retiring at a sudden age. Definitely recommend this episode. Lyle Adams is someone I've gotten to know very intelligent, very resourceful, just overall great guy. And if I learned as much as I did from this podcast episode, I know you will too. So make sure you tune in and definitely check out the show notes because Lyle Adams definitely gave a lot of resources, a lot of gems for you to take away and apply to your own financial playbook. Uh, thank you for joining our podcast. Um, I'm pleasure to meet you again. Um, thank you for taking the time. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm actually very excited to like share and give back to the community. Uh, being a former athlete or still being a current athlete in some capacity. So I'm looking forward to today. It's it's crazy because I felt like I knew you, but I didn't know you until recently. So then we got to connect. So tell the audience about yourself. So I, I, I originally grew up in Orlando, Florida, um, where I where I attended high school, Winter Park High School. Um, you know, I, I grew up Graham Zussi. Dax and I have remained close friends throughout the years. Um, going to UNT and his life, you know, in MLS as well. Uh, after high school, I ended up applying to various universities. I wasn't widely recruited. Uh, fortunately for me, I ended up getting accepted to Wake Forest and the Jay Vitovich at the time gave me the opportunity to walk on to the men's soccer program, which I eagerly accepted. And that was a wonderful experience in general. Like being a walk-on is exciting and challenging in so many different regards, like getting to know your teammates, getting up to the pace of the game, but I was blessed to have like you know the Wake community and great teammates who helped me get into the space. I played four years at Wake, and then from there I you know I tested my you know 
I would say my skills in the professional ranks. I initially went overseas chasing the European dream uh, in a small club in Austria called Alltalk. Um, unfortunately, I didn't really secure a work permit, and I bounced around for a bit before ending back up in the States playing with Austin Aztecs in USL. Um, for those who know, Austin eventually became Orlando City. Uh, after a year there, I ended up going back to DC United, which held my draft rights, and I had a six, seven-month stint with the club, but ultimately was the released uh, before then transitioning into tech. Um, and since then, you know, I've spent some time at Living Social. I, I spent the bulk of my professional career at Uber, and most recently I was at Baller TV. Amazing. Uh, so we're going to talk about Living Social and Uber later, but I want to talk about your experience as a walk-on because everyone sees college, college athletes, and I, I feel like you were being humble because you were probably on one of the greatest college soccer teams um, in the past 20 years, 20, 30 years, yeah. Um, and everyone sees, you know, you, you think you're a college athlete, you get a full ride, it's scholarship, but you're a walk-on. Can you talk about that experience? Did you know anyone going in besides the coach? No, I mean, I knew maybe two people going into Wake Forest before I started. Like, you know, after I got into Wake, um, after I got into Wake, I attended the, you know, you know, prospective student day in, in May. And at that time, I actually met Jay Vidovich and the staff, Bobby Muse, Carson Porter at the time, who were the Wake assistants. Uh, they ended up pairing me with a guy on the team who was basically my defunct tour guide. So I ended up meeting him. Uh, I knew Julian Valentine through Dax because Jules and Dax ended up going to IMG the Academy together. So I had that tie going in. But outside of that, I really knew um, no one. So after, you know, Coach Jay checked my references, um, some people within the state of Florida that I, I, I had played with or played against in, the, in some capacity, he said, hey, you have an opportunity to walk on to the program if you would like it. Um, it, was, it was always my dream to play college soccer, so I jumped on the opportunity. And to be honest, it was difficult. Like, I had the option of playing at smaller schools in Florida or like, you know, other places around the country, but ACC soccer was my dream. And to your point, it, it was a difficult transition. It was the pace was a lot different than I was used to. Um, and not knowing anyone was, was tough. Um, being a walk-on that came in so, so late into the, into the fold, I had a non-soccer roommate. I, my, my roommate was another athlete, but it was a non-soccer player. So like, I was already kind of distant from the team. And then being a walk-on, you have to somewhat assimilate or like meet your teammates who've been playing together uh, you know, in the past couple of years, in like, whether it's the academy at the time of the you know, ODP, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a really interesting struggle for me getting ramped up and um, accustomed to what was expected of me because I had never done it before. That then perfect. Go ahead. No, I said this is this is great. Keep going. Uh, that then coupled with the classwork, man, like it's it's as those who played collegiate soccer know, it's a full time job. As you're trying to juggle, you know, the playing stuff and doing the schoolwork, it was tough for me. So in terms of GPA, my first semester was terrible. Like, I think my play was kind of inconsistent as well. Like, you know, you're trying to, like, you're 18, you're trying to get settled, you're trying to go to class, trying to play soccer. It was tough. But as, you know, as things settled or I became more accustomed to what was expected of me, the experience became wonderful. Um, and my, I said, like, I, I can't really speak, I can only speak the world of my teammates. Like, they were very accepting and welcoming, so that it wasn't really much hey, like you're on scholarship, you're a walk, walk on. It was a more of an inclusive atmosphere, which I think what, what made our college team really special because there was a few of us that fell within this, you know, walk on or preferred walk on, you know, cohort of individuals. And that's what made mm -hmm. our team great. So if you ask Coach Jay 
in hindsight, he's like, yeah, man, I was blessed to have 11, you know, point two scholarship players. But then I had some hidden gems that I ended up finding that attended Wake for one reason or another, like Austin to lose his, you know, his father was the women's soccer coach at Wake. So he received the tuition, you know, cut back. Sam Cronin, his mother worked at Wake at the time. So it was a similar boat. You know, myself, Evan Brown, Justin Lickfist were all preferred walk-ons in some, you know, capacity. And they contributed to the program. So it was like, it was, it was like you know, the perfect storm from a college coach perspective. Yeah, I'm sure Coach, uh, coach Jay was – uh, was loving that, you know, he's able to spread his scholarship money around and get top quality players at the same time. Um, you talked about college soccer being a dream of yours. Um, obviously, you know, the path you took um, playing four years, playing with such talented uh, group of young men. When did the, the mindset shift in terms of, all right, maybe professional soccer is something you want to actively pursue. I would say probably going into my junior year, you know, after or end of spring meeting sophomore year, coaches like, hey, like, you know, this could be a path if you want to choose and put some work into it uh, and, like, pursue this full time, you know, as, like, a career. So like, that really, like, kind of opened the eyes to me outside of the, you know, the backyard, you know, kicking the ball against the fence, pretending like you're scoring in the World Cup finals. Like, it was kind of a you know, a distant dream. But I would say from that point on, I became a bit more serious in my craft at the time. And like, I tried to pursue, you know, the professional ranks or like, you know, working towards that goal ultimately. Perfect. And your career is unique in the sense that you went four years in college and usually four years in college means you're going MLS, but you took a chance on yourself, went to Europe and then eventually came back and then ended up in MLS can you talk about that experience? And um, no, Europe. Europe was about? tough. I mean, like the, the transition to Europe at the time was. This was before you know MLS is where it's at now in terms of revenue and player salaries. So you know, being a walk-on at Wake, I was an econ major. So I did the math, saying, "Hey, it's going to be tough to live off what they're paying four-year seniors right now as a base salary, right?" I'm like, and then you c- combine with the fact that all the MLS clubs at the time were in major markets. I'm like, I can't live off of this. So I started looking for other opportunities. I got connected with a few folks who said, like, hey, you know, try your trade overseas. Looking at, you know, some of the second or I would say second tier or third tier clubs um, or countries. So for me, the the appeal was to get some more exposure to really refine my craft over there, have more opportunities is to play because they had a lot more teams than we had domestically at this time. And then on the backside was the financial implications, right? Like, knowing that I could go to a smaller club in Europe, only probably make 2K a month, which came out to like, you know, 24 or 30K a year, but they would pay for housing, food and travel. So I was basically like, you know, I had no out-of-pocket expenses. So that for me was a very compelling thing. And I was like, hey, like, I can then test the water, see if I'm actually can cut out to play at this level. And if so, like, you know, really chase it, try to come back to the States and make a name for myself. But unfortunately, like, you know, the way the world works, it didn't work out for me. So I bounced from all talk in Austria uh, to Schaffhausen in Switzerland. Then I went to a small club in Belgium, you know, all played well, but didn't end up getting a work, you know, a contract or working permit, which was tough to swallow as a, you know, 22 year old kid coming off of a successful college career. So instead of saying, Hey Lyle, you know, you weren't good enough. It's like, Hey, like we would love to have you, but it just, we can't sign you right now because we're after the transfer window or vice versa. So it was a tough pill to swallow at 22, looking back at it. 
However, though, it was like it was a really good lesson in life to understand, like, hey, you know, you, you can put in the hard work. And unfortunately, some things don't go your way. But instead of, like, you know, putting your head down and sulking, you've got to keep, you know, keep tr- grinding and push, pushing your best foot forward to hopefully have an opportunity that, that comes your way someday. That's amazing. And then, so you learned, you learned, you lived and you learned the soccer experience, you know, had a good run. And then you transitioned to tech. You didn't study tech in college. So, like, can you talk about that transition? So, after I, you know, I, after my Austin year and then my, you know, half a season with DC, I realized, I was like, hey, I don't know if this is in for me to long haul. And I decided to pack it up. At the time, I was at a massive crossroads, to be honest with you. Soccer was really all I knew. It had defined who I was for the past, call it 10 years of my life, since I was probably 12. 11, 12, I was playing soccer. I viewed myself as a soccer player. And now I, I could no longer play soccer. So it was a difficult transition. So I started looking around at the job market and trying to figure out what I liked and didn't like. I did a, a, an internship at the National Education Association, the NEA in D.C., for six months. And it was a really cool experience. Working for a larger, uh, larger organization, I quickly identified what I liked and what I didn't like and pursued the areas that I wanted to like get better at or liked from like, you know, professional ranks. I ended up settling on tech for two reasons. Looking at when I graduated in 2009, I was technically two years behind where my peers were who graduated in, two, in the same class, meaning that while I played soccer, they had a professional experience. I didn't view this as a bad thing, but from a hiring standpoint, I was like, hey, I'm kind of green right now in work experience. So instead of competing against people who graduated in 09 for jobs, I'm actually competing against people who graduated in 2011 for jobs since neither of us had work experience. So I started talking to a few people and my aunt recommended, she's like, hey, look at startups. You know, I've heard positive things about startups. You know, they're fast moving, they're agile. So you can technically start and do a lot of different things a.k.a. wear a lot of different hats early on, and you can then mm-hmm. ramp up your work experience to be on par or a, a lot less um, behind your 2009 classmates. So with that being said, I started like you know looking for startups in D.C., and I ended up applying for a job at Living Social, and I ended up getting a call back. And I interviewed in the office early 2011, and I was hired... Um, I received an offer and I started, you know, early 2011, which was a really exciting thing. Um, for those guys out there, I just want to say, stay positive, man. It, it took me six and a half months to get a job, right? It, it, I know it's like a daunting task to say, hey, like, what am I going to do next? But like, I think it's just a lesson that, you know, you, you put forth the effort and good things will come your way through hard work. And like, that's how I felt. But like, it took six months to land my first gig there. While at Living Social, it was a cool experience, man. Like, Watching a company um, really start impacting day-to-day consumers. For those who aren't aware, Living Social was a competitor to Groupon. Unfortunately, the company no longer exists today since it was acquired by Groupon a couple years back. But they offered daily deals to consumers for a discounted price. So you could buy $15 from McDonald's and that $15 credit would be worth $30 in the store. So it was a really cool experience in there. And that's why I somewhat honed some of my technical skills, um, you know, data analytics and like, you know, merchant acquisition stuff. I gained the experience at Living Social. But the thing that I valued the most was the 
was the culture of learning and appetite for wanting to do great. Um, I always said it'd be difficult to recreate my college experience in terms of like a bunch of people hungry, chasing a goal. But fortunately I found that at living social in some capacity and I found it a lot more at Uber, but it was a really exciting time for me at living social. That's amazing. Cause a lot of people talk about the correlation between like, you know, sports, like teams and sports and then teams when it comes to startups. So you're saying you felt that, that correlation or that synergy? There's definitely, there's a lot of correlation there. I mean, when you start a company very young, like, you know, everyone on the team, you know, everyone you're working with, right. You know, you form these, you know, relationships to some capacity that stretch beyond the, you know, the work walls, the work offices, right. Like, you know, when I began at Uber or office only had, Four, three, three other people besides myself when I started. It was a small basement apartment that might have been a 15 by 15 room. And I spent a good 10 to 12 hours per day in that room for a good six months. So these people are somewhat became like a part of who I was and part of my life, right? Like, you know, you could see how or work at the time would lead to like the increases in bottom line and how that would affect the city. Right. So it was a really there's some definitely correlations there and being hungry and driven as an athlete and like not liking failure, I think, translates really well into professional ranks because a lot of employers look for these like, you know, these skills, like whether you know it or not, athletes are very coachable, your team, your team players and you're very accepted. Right. Because like throughout the course of your career, Moby, you've probably played with what, three, four hundred different people. In, in some manner of life, right? Whether it's a trialist, the person who comes in on a contract, you have a lot of teammates over your, you know, your, your career right now. And when you look at, I mean, go ahead. you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Like even yesterday we had a game and the goalie for the other team was like, yo, you, you don't remember me, do you? I was like, you changed your hair. Actually, I did not remember him. Then I looked on the back of his jersey and I was like, oh my gosh, I do remember him three years ago. We played together like he was one of the younger kids coming up on the squad. And it's just like you said, it's just the vast network of knowing people. And um, oh, it's, it's just crazy how you just brought that up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the things that you as an athlete, you take for granted. But like working now, spending almost like, you know, nine, ten years in corporate America, you, you take it for granted how important those skill sets are. Like, you know, you're you can communicate with anyone like to your point, like. This guy was a teammate three years ago, but for some strange reason or another, you left a lasting impression on him. And now he will remember you for the rest of his life. But most of your teammates are like that. You know, they come from different backgrounds, different shapes, different ethnicities, different religions. Yet somehow you all bond in a locker room and you chase a common goal for that given season. And that really brings you together. So now putting you in a corporate setting where you're going to have people from different ages and different backgrounds you naturally have those ability to connect and work with these individuals before you know it or not. And that makes for me, the athlete, a very like, you know, attractive hire or a person that can like learn on the job and be any, you know, be a positive, you know, asset to any company. So you're saying all this and how athletes can easily, I don't want to say easily, but their skill sets align with, you know, the corporate space, whether it's startup tech, business finance, so why is it so tough for athletes? Because, you know, you said it took six months for you to find your position. Like, what are some tips that you'd recommend for athletes in this transition? I would just say meet as many people as possible. 
like reach out to your network. I recommend all athletes like creating a LinkedIn. Like LinkedIn's kind of changed, but it's it's still a really good networking tool just to have an initial touch point to meet someone. Right? Anybody you know from college that was a good friend of yours outside of sports, just reconnect. I think, you know, in my current, you know, time away from my last role, I've had, you know, I I probably take a couple meetings a day with random people in the city, friends of friends, former colleagues, friends of former colleagues, just to like expand my network. Because you don't really know what's going to happen next. And I think the athlete is a really unique situation because like people come to watch your games, they look up to you, right? Like you little kids idolize you. So if you're running a soccer camp and a, and a, a parent's like, hey, can you sign my kid's jersey? By all means, sign the jersey. That might come full circle to you because that guy could own an advertising company. It could be a CEO of a company. You don't really know what's going to happen. So my biggest advice is to like meet as many people as possible. You know, scratch an itch uh, and see where it takes you. And like I think that's the first step of the equation. Um, and then when you get an opportunity, make the most of it. Uh, to be to be honest with you, like I really didn't like my first job that much. But my first job was cool for me in that it gave me exposure to the possibilities of what, what was out there. And then I quickly realized that, hey, like, I can make the most of this, right? Like through my hard work and dedication and like, you know, the structure that you are, you have as an athlete, you know, working nine to five is easy for you. You don't like failure, right? So like once you get your foot in the <laughs> yeah. door, athletes can like, you know, run with it. Like, yeah, there's some careers or, you know, occupations that aren't, you need like an education background for like, I would say mathematics, right? Or like, you know, math-related fields. But right now, you, I, I don't think anything is truly closed off to an athlete, uh, whether it's computer science, data science, marketing. These, these are all things that you can, you can learn or be taught. And with the mentality or the drive an athlete has, I think it's achievable. No, I think that's great. I mean, I think it touches to how we met. You know, we met through LinkedIn. And if you check back, um, for the audience, uh, we did a podcast with Sebastian Sam, um, who works at LinkedIn. He's a former athlete himself. The power of LinkedIn is very strong. And like Lyle says, every athlete of LinkedIn, whether it's your high school network, your college network, your team network, you're able to tap into so many different people just simply by connecting. And then to act one step further, you have to act on it. Like Lyle says, go on a follow-up meeting take someone out to lunch sign that autograph stay extra after the game um all these different things that can come full circle um really really help you in your next venture or your next phase of life um and i want to shift gears because you talked about um uber and obviously uber is very popular I think even today they just had uh, a recent announcement about some quiet feature that you can ask. Um, and you said you spent the bulk of your time there. Um, obviously, the athlete venture capital space is getting very popular. So can you talk about this, this new phenomenon and what athletes should consider before investing or working in a startup? So I will tackle the um, latter question first. So, you know, what to do working with a startup um, and then dive into the investing standpoint. Uh, so like what I tell people I speak to for jobs is twofold. Like um, one, truly understand what you want to get out of a job before you get into it. Like, unfortunately, like there aren't that many Googles and Facebooks and Ubers or Lyfts or, you know, Postmates of the world that are going to be very successful companies at the end of the day. 
you know, when, when you truly look at the value, the number of startups that fail is over 85%. Um, so it's a very high number of failures compared to the successes. But when the successes happen, they become household names, as some of the companies I've mentioned. However, though, as the way I approach the problem, like, what can I learn from this experience, right? Because, like, at the end of the day, every, every lesson is a learning experience for me, right? Like, what can I gain from this? And, like, looking at startups, looking at the companies, like, hey, like, does this company have a you know, product market fit, you know, is it easy going to, is it easy for people to sell the product? I think is the first thing I start looking at when I invest or like to tell people to look at jobs. Like what is the product market fit? What does the competitive landscape look like? Competitive landscape look like? Are there a ton of other companies in the space that are doing similar things? If so, how does said company differentiate itself from other companies? Right. Three, like what is the role? Like, is there a room for mobility within the company? Right, because like I said, I started as a, um, I would say, people operations analyst at Living Social. Uh, and for those who don't know what that is, I basically started out in HR doing analytics for them. I eventually, before I left, transitioned to a sales strategy where I learned SQL, structured query language, which is like what a lot of data analysts use now, and that helped me get my Uber job. Right, so it's like you know, I started one place and ended up at a totally different place. But as long as the company offers mobility, I think it's a very important thing for you to like consider in the role. And three, it's like, and I would say that lastly, the most important thing, like, what can I gain from this? Like, if you want to pursue a career in sales, like, are you going to have a good mentor? Are you going to have a good leader who can teach you how to sell stuff? If that answer is yes, I think it's an opportunity worth pursuing in some capacity because, like, as you transition from the playing field to the corporate workspace, you just have to. It's like, you, it's like practice. You've got to get reps in, right? So if this company is going to give you reps for a couple of years, I think it's a wonderful experience to take and learn. You might truly love it, but you can also like, look back at it and say, hey, I learned now X, Y, and Z and use what you learn to leverage your next role in the space. That's, that's amazing. I, I literally, I was, I was like following along with the, with, the, with the notebook, just writing it down and just talking about it's not some sometimes it's not about the job it's about who's like the who's who teach you the most in the position that you're in how far you can grow um different things like that and uh you really touched on that especially with your experience not only with living social uber baller tv um different startups across the board you know different sectors as well so i'll I'll even ask you this question that my my one of my first boss asked me she's like what games do you remember from college the most, Lyle? Right? And I, I know what I told her. I was like, the games that I lost, I remember a lot more than the games I, went, I won in college. And you, I can probably, you, you, probably, you might fall in that same bucket. So that just shows for you. It's, it wasn't about the actual, like, kicking the ball in the net or blocking that shot. It was about the experience which you learned the most from, which has left the lasting impression on you. And when you truly understand that and, and transfer that same mindset to, you know, applying for a job, looking for a new career or X, Y, Z, it makes a lot of sense. No, and you just brought up a touchy subject because I lost my Elite Eight game to Wake Forest, your, your, your alumni. So uh, thanks for that. <laughs> I apologize. Sorry about that. No, no, you're good. So, yeah, bringing it back, uh, you know, athletes, investors, um, how can we navigate this space? Like this, there's this new phenomenon with athletes investing in startups and, and these venture funds and different things like that. What, what's your take on that as someone that's been on both sides? 
I, I think it's very um, positive um, for multiple reasons. One, like, you know, I, I like it because people are now starting to take, you know, consideration of their future into their own hands instead of, like, farming out and let another person do it. So I actively, like, support those who want to invest or learn more about investing. However, though, at the same time, you know, you have to somewhat be cautious and guarded within the space because, you know, you're not only – you know, investing financial capital, but you're also like putting your name out there. And as you know, your your name is your most valuable asset as an athlete, right? Like, you know, once you, once your name or reputation is tarnished, it's very difficult to, you know, you know, rebuild or recover from that. The same can be said in, in the finance or the tech world. So when I look at investments these days, you know, I have like a series of questions that I, I can provide you and you can share with the group. We can put them on the um, podcast link that I like to go through. But for me, I, I basically ask myself, like, would you buy this as a customer? If that answer is yes, I start, under, I start now going through my list of questions as why. Or if that, the answer is no, it's like, why wouldn't I buy this? Is it because I don't know enough about the space? And if that's the answer, I, I then have to, I take it upon myself to do a lot of research, right? Understanding market trends, trying to figure out like, what, what, where the world is, you know, moving towards right now. Um, an example would be like everyone's on their smartphone all the time, which makes sense. Like people are the big companies now are, are competing for eyeballs or your attention. It's no longer about how much money you spend on the platform. It's like how much time are you spending on the platform? And taking it at a micro, um, a macro level, you can kind of see this now with Apple launching their streaming service. You know, they're trying to do a lot more than just iPhones. Amazon also has a streaming service. Netflix is thinking about, like, you know, ways to expand on this. And now even more traditional companies, call it Turner and Disney, are launching their own streaming services themselves to try to compete for everyone's attention. I don't know if you follow the news or saw the news today. Um, Disney announced that it acquired Hulu, which is a really big thing if you truly think about what, why that's important. Right. So it's like it's a to, game changer. trying to understand market trends. And I think is very um, important when investing and staying away from like, you know, things that you think are very popular because, um, yeah, it could be popular. But if you're investing, the likelihood of you getting a return in six to eight months is little or nothing. So it's like, where's where's the world going now in? 18 months to 36 months or 36 months to 72 months trying to have that foresight and vision or just trying to like think that far in advance i think is a very important quality and i would say the most important thing is like your network of people that you 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 surround yourself with whether it's an accountant or someone who like works in the space someone who's like you know um is certified as a financial advisor or planner so you know like they're not going to take advantage of you having someone in your community or network that can help there i think is the most important because now you have like a sounding board that's an ethical sounding board so instead of me saying hey Moby, like can you give me fifty thousand dollars for my uncle Vinny's bar you're like hey man maybe maybe not like you can run this this deal by or this business plan by your advisor and they can then say hey i think this is a good idea or a bad idea and you can understand why it's a bad idea so you can then leverage that experience the way you future evaluate, you know, deals in the future. No, I think that's really important. Uh, earlier you touched on that 85% of, of companies, you know, don't end up working out. And as athletes, you know, we have this capital that we could spend. But like you said, it's important to do the due diligence, the background checks, the financial reports, the marketing trends, all these 
um, factors that you have to take into account. Um, but as you know, there's many ways to get involved, whether it's, you know, in an equity play, um, uh, ambassador for equity role, advisor role. And I really like what you talked about, you know, your name is everything. So can you talk about how important it is to know what you're getting into? Because like you said, if, it, if, if something negative is attached to your name, it can affect you long-term, I'd assume, I'd assume especially in Silicon Valley. Absolutely. So it's the Valley, it's New York, it's anywhere that there's, you know, anywhere there's big communities that your name is the value. So, I mean, like, knowing what you're getting into is is great, but also sometimes you don't know. Like, I didn't know what I was getting to, into at Uber, to be honest with you. I thought it was a very cool idea, and I was excited in the fact that by the, the, the concept or the potential the product had it when I started. So I, I remember telling my parents, hey, mom, how was your interview today? Well, it was amazing, mom. What's so cool? I go, I pressed the button after I left the office, and an Escalade showed up, and they didn't charge my credit card. I was home in five minutes, and the person knew exactly where they were going. Um, this is 2012 D.C., where you have to pay cash in cabs. Cabs weren't the, the, the cleanliest at the time. And, you know, unfortunately, they sometimes didn't pick you up if you were a single guy, right, in the city. So, like, Uber basically removed all of those barriers or those obstacles to request a ride, and I, I, it blew my mind away. Um, but at the same time, I took a chance. Uh, and that's, and that's like, that's, you know, that's the scary thing with investment stuff, right? Like, you know, there's, a, you know, some age old investment theory. It's like, Hey, there's two types of investors, one who invests in the product or the idea, or one who invests in the person, the more, you know, successful investors will normally lean towards or skew towards investing in the person because like, Hey man, like this person got it. I believe in this person. Like, they're going to figure this idea out because at the end of the day, they've won me over. Uh, and yes, it's, it's, it's a scary thing to, like, write a check for someone on this, like, you know, this, this idea that could be, it's very conceptual. But if you believe in that person and that person has the, the attributes and the skill sets that you value as a person, whether it being honesty, you know, hard work, you know, integrity, it's worth sometimes taking a flyer because, like, the, the outcome could be beneficial. And then on the flip side, the network that you will acquire through that individual could help you in leaps and bounds as you like look for your next venture, you can say. No, that, that's amazing. That's, uh, this really takes home some great talking points. I really like how you talked about this quote, invest in product or invest in the person and the differences between the two. Um, obviously, you know, you worked on both sides, investing in um, startups. Um, I've invested a little bit. Um, just want to make sure that, if you're listening to this podcast, that you heed the advice of your own management, lawyer, financial advisor, whoever it may be, because we're talking about different uh, different things as it in, pertains to investing. This is all informational, so you just wanted to point that out. Um, Lyle, one last question as it pertains to um, where you see the trends you talked about streaming services where where do you see like the future i know we, earlier before we started we talked about voice um, podcasting but where do you see some trends going i i think i think a lot of trends right now in um is in the health and wellness space i'm kind of big on right now so if you take like a step back 15 20 years ago um gluten and awareness of gluten became very popular and since then there's kind of been like a slow snowball or trickle down of what has happened from there it, you know you, 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 you kind of saw the organic food stuff has become a lot more prevalent 
right? Like growing up as kids, you never saw anything at Publix or a grocery store that said, oh, no antibiotics. But now that's the norm <laughs> in the grocery store. You know, you have a lot of gourmet salad shops. You have mixed sweet green chopped, all these organic food shops popping up. Um, how that is like played out, I think it's been very interesting. And I, I, I see that continuing though, not so much on within food, but within consumer products. Right. I think the next big frontier is, you know, is beauty and healthcare, right? Like, you know, you know, makeup, cosmetics, you know, hair products. I think they're gonna take a, start looking at it a lot more in the next couple of years about like what what are these products made of, right? Because, like, food is what sure. you put into your body, but at the same time, like, what you put on your body is just as important, right? So I, I, see, that, I see that being a trend that is going to take off. You can kind of see it, you know, in the cannabis or the CBD space right now. You can see it also in the market or, like, the recent IPOs of Beyond Meats and Impossible Burger, right? Like, exceeded expectations on Wall Street have blown up. Right, Burger King launched an Impossible Burger. Now Wendy's and McDonald's are thinking about doing something similar in the future. So it's like it's a trend that's ticking in the right direction. Is one of them. Um, I'm kind of like bullish on the health and wellness space overall. Uh, next one, I, I I like the idea of podcasting. Um, traditional radio is somewhat going going away. In that, like, it's still popular, but with streaming services as you know Spotify and Apple Music. People don't really listen to the radio as much. They listen to podcasts, i.e. this one and, and, and namelessly a few others. Like it's a way to catch up on your news. It's a way to like learn something new. It's a way to connect with your favorite people or learn more about, you know, an area of interest. So I see the podcast space being very interesting going forward as a way of like how you share and communicate as well as learn information. So I can see something happening there that I think is big. Um, and just in general, like, as weird as, this is, as weird as this might sound, as trying to get people off their cell phone to interact. Like, uh, it's, it's not really a problem or it's becoming a problem, but I, I can see somebody trying to figure out a way to, like, get people back engaged and talking again. Whether it's through podcasts or interviews or, like, you know, certain things. But, like, you know, people are spending more and more time on their smartphones. Uh, and if you're following some of, like, the trends there, you know, mobile browsing has now been dominant on their mobile device sorry internet browsing is higher on mobile than it is on desktop for the first time ever last year and that gap is going to get bigger and bigger because many within our age group don't even own laptops so figuring out how you can like you know remove the dependency on the phone is an interesting idea yeah it's far-fetched because you know we rely on our phones more than ever but if someone can figure out a way to balance both acts in like a healthy way to tie back into the health health and wellness space, it could be a really big business venture. No, I'm I'm thinking of some different ways. I know um, you know, you know, activations like um top golf and the um the one where you can like throw the hammers and stuff like that to get people active again has really become popular. But what I really like about what you talked about, the different market trends, is how they tie back into sports. Um in the health and wellness, what you're putting into your body, um, what you're putting on your body, um, podcasting, you know, sports interviews, different things like that. I think it really touches on how athletes can be sub just by simply the sport they play. Um, a lot of athletes have gone vegan. Um, a lot of athletes are um, focused on their wellness part to extend their careers. I think recently, Alex Rodriguez invested in a in a in a seed round for 
um, an Indian yoga startup or something like that. So as you touched on these markets, um, it's important as athletes, if they want to get involved, that they understand, um, how can I say, that they, that they do provide value. But besides the value, now you have to do the due diligence. If this company is right for you, if the money makes sense, if the financials make sense, if the structure, and I really appreciate you touching on, on these topics. So you're welcome. Like I said, I, I, it's been a wonderful opportunity to share um, with everyone today some of the things I've learned over the course of years. Because like, I wouldn't be with where I am with, without, you know, without my, you know, I would say Wake Forest and some of my early managers and mentors at, you know, Lifting Social, Uber, uh, in general, they, they helped me guide my career. So if any way I can be of assistance or, like, you know, pass this in, information along to, like, you know, future, you know, current athletes or, like, you know, or people in the future, I would gladly do so. And hence, I'm just super excited to be a part of this podcast today. Perfect. So where can we find you then? And what are you up to now? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Lyle Adams. So if anyone wants to reach out to me on LinkedIn, I'll gladly accept them. We can figure out a time to connect there. Uh, in terms of next steps, uh, for me, like right now, I'm, I'm doing some consulting in the Bay. Um, I'm, I'm working with a few, you know, smaller startup companies on some data analytics and, you know, new merchant acquisition strategies. Um, I've been advising with the Oakland Roots, a professional soccer club in Oakland, um, on some things over the past couple months. So right now, it's like, you know, doing those as I wait to hear back from a few graduate programs, graduate school programs. Um, so once I, you know, hear back from school, I will then probably make a decision on where my next adventure takes me. That's amazing. Oakland Roots is a great soccer club, by the way. Love what they're doing. Love what you're doing with them. Um, we'd like to end it with quick hits, um, just a little rapid fire. We're going to we're going to alter it a little bit because we know um, your situation. You can't talk about some things, but um, would you be? Would you be able to do some quick hits? I will, I will answer the questions to the best of my abilities. If I give you a runaround answer, I, I can't answer the question. No worries. Okay. Most frugal thing you've ever done? I, I used to walk to work being an Uber employee. Uh, for context, Uber employees receive a monthly stipend, which I would never use, but I would walk to work. So this was before you guys had the scooters, huh? <laughs> yes, before we had scooters. Best financial book. Best financial book. I would say best book about financial advising is uh, 33 Habits of Highly Successful People. You can find it on Amazon. It's a green book. It's probably around $11. I read the book yearly and take out a couple of different tips, and I focus on those every single year. Perfect. We'll have all the information Lyle has shouted out on the show notes. Um, best investment you've made. And it doesn't have to be like um, – like you got in a startup, it could be something for your health. It could be like a favorite book you read, education, you know, anything. Uh, I would say two that come to mind. One was my investment in myself in going to Wake Forest. Um, since I was a walk-on, I had to take out some student loans to afford to go to Wake, and it was the best investment I've ever made in myself. Uh, and the next one I would say on a corporate level is making the jump out to San Francisco. When I moved in 2014, uh, I started in the Uber DC office and I, I took a leap of faith in this opportunity in this role in California in 2014. And it was scary, but it was the best decision I could have made for my future. I'm sure. I'm sure it was. <laughs> okay. One thing you would tell yourself before uh, you went pro. 
Um, sleep, sleep and hydrate. Like, um, looking back at what I know now about like what it takes to be successful in an athlete, I didn't, I didn't take care of my, as my body. It was focused on my craft as much as I should have been. Um, while that helped me get a professional job or transition into the workplace, I think it kind of killed my career. And I'll be honest about it. Like, take your craft seriously because the amount of time that you can be a professional athlete is super small, right? If you think about it, like when you become a pro at 21, 22, two-thirds of your playing career is already over, right? So you only have eight, 12 years to play, whereas you can get a desk job for the next 30, 40 years. That's preach. That's a bar right there. Okay, last two questions. Dream purchase you've yet to buy. Um, 20, 2020 Summer Olympic tickets. Oh, that's good. It's going to be in Tokyo too? Oh, yeah. Okay. What it means to be a frugal athlete. Obviously, you've been a supporter of what we're doing, so um, want to get your uh, your opinion on what it means to be a frugal athlete. In my in my words, I would say a frugal athlete is an individual who understands the value of themselves and their resources, whether that's being their athletic talent, whether it's being capital, whether it's being their mind, or whether it's being their um, you know, their reputation, understanding what you can and cannot give, I think is what a frugal athlete is good at. And, and the successful ones are very good at, right? Well, that means, Hey, not going to meet a friend out for a coffee when you got to get some rest, or it means reading this book when you, when you said you were going to do something else, right? Like being frugal and with your time is what makes, you know, the successful athletes, great athletes. No, I think you, 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 you you couldn't said it you couldn't have said it any better you know being efficient being economical being prudent all things you touched on and uh we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day um we know you're very busy um to you know share share your story share your advice with the audience thank you so much for having me once again i, I really enjoyed this no no doubt and uh for people that don't know Lyle said this was his first podcast ever so I can't thank him enough. Uh, he's a great interview. E, if that's how you call it. And uh, just lots of gems that I'm going to take into my own life. And uh, definitely check him out. We're going to have all his information on the show notes. Um, some of the gems he provided. So, uh, uh, yeah, definitely tune in. Thank you guys so much. Thank you once again. Yo, money talk, save your breath, save your peace of mind Deposit plus signs, they're not unwind Words to the wise, don't gotta be suits and ties We're living in the time where every move is scrutinized At the elbow, I hit them with the bank shot I just wanna check my bank account and thank God yeah. Hey yo, I think we got the same thought We gon' get it all together for the raindrop yeah. Help me help you, sometimes you don't gotta go far to discover the truth Easy to get confused when all the faces are blue Pull up a chair, if it help I tell you what I would do Keep that thought process prudent And yo, staying in the moment while we living for the future Yeah, it's a track meet for a frugal athlete Nothing more, nothing less, I need exactly One shoulder